is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest, one of the most knowledgeable people in just an array of things that I've ever met through the years of coaching and the years of podcasting that I've had um, and experience. He literally just knows so many things, it's insane. If you are familiar with Dr. Stephen Cabral, you'll know this as well, and you will know that he is going to come on this show today, and he is going to teach you about so many different things, from detoxifying your body, to hormones, to stress-related issues, to specific nutrition protocols, elimination diets, gut health, literally so many different things we cover today, and we just scratch the surface on what he puts out in his content and what he has put out over the I don't know how many, maybe hundreds of podcasts that he's done and so many that I've heard him on. So I definitely recommend you go check out his book, which I'm going to link in the show notes um, called The Rain Barrel Effect. Great book full of a ton of different information, uh, a lot of applicable things that you can take and use in your own life to not only lose weight or or change your body composition, but actually just improve your health and live a longer life. Um, And I definitely recommend you go check out his website, go check out his lab testing stuff because it's super helpful to have hormonal panels, food sensitivity panels, things like that. I'm going to link that in the show notes as well in case you are in need of any type of testing. This is a verified and a trusted source by us. Um, And then I definitely recommend you go check out his content, whether it's on Instagram, his podcast, which he does every single day, which is mind-blowing that he has the time to do that every day, but it's awesome. Um, And then go check out the other podcasts that he's actually been on because he has so much information to share and he's doing it all over the place. Before we jump in the show, I want to give you guys one quick reminder. Next week on Monday, if you're listening to this on the 15th, which is when it airs, next week, Monday, we are dropping a new ebook. So on the 21st of January, we are dropping the Performance Nutrition Manual. This is a book that Caroline, Coach Caroline on our team wrote, and I came in and wrote the foreword and edited it along with her to create a nutrition performance blueprint for you guys to use to enhance your performance, enhance your competitive fitness if you are in CrossFit, competitive fitness if you are in any sport for that matter. Um, and for anybody who is just chasing muscle and strength gains, this is also going to be perfect for you because it is the book that takes nutrition and puts it in a specific applicable performance standpoint. So now you can not only chase body composition goals, chase health goals, but you can actually shift your nutrition to enhance what you are doing in the gym, on the field, on the platform, wherever you are performing at your best so that you can recover and continue to perform at your best. So there's a ton of information in this book. Super excited for it to drop and it drops on Monday the 21st. Before we get in the show, one quick um, reminder again. I know I said only one, but we got another one for you guys. If you like the show, if you like the information that Dr. Stephen Cabral is bringing to the show, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this show right now as you are listening into it. Go on your Instagram story, post it, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom as well as Dr. Stephen Cabral. I'm going to link both of our Instagrams in the show notes so you have those usernames to tag. We would appreciate it because it gets the message out and it allows more people to change their lives with the information we are providing to give you better results. All right, guys. Now, I promise no more reminders, no more waiting. We are going to get right into the show with Dr. Stephen Cabral. All right, Dr. Stephen Cabral, man, I'm super excited to have you here. I've probably listened to every podcast you've already been on. You recently sent me your book and I've been digging through that. So I'm excited to have you here. And I've actually had your name recommended to get on the show multiple times. So I know the people listening are going to be really excited. But for those who do not know you, can you just give us a brief introduction of who 
Dr. Stephen Cabral is. So I'm a board certified naturopathic doctor and a subspecialty in functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. So essentially what I do is I'm always asking why. So if someone comes in with high cholesterol, high blood pressure, joint pain, fibromyalgia, hypothyroidism, you name it. I'm not saying, okay, yes, there is a solution. It, you could use pharmaceutical drugs or you could go deeper down the rabbit hole and say, why did this come about in the first place? So my job is to continue to ask why and run the labs and then back it up by data. Also using the 6,000 year old methodologies we know of Ayurvedic medicine. So in a nutshell, I try to use the best of the ancient world and the best of the state of the art medicine we have now. So I definitely want to get into your story because I'm going to ask your, your history in a sec because I know you've traveled quite a bit learning this stuff, which I find super interesting. Who is, uh, before I do, who is the, uh, I guess, I don't want to say your niche client because I think you work with so many different individuals, but who are the people you see? Like, what are the problems you are solving for people? So I've always had a little niche in my career. I started as a uh, personal trainer, nutritionist, and strength and conditioning coach work with Olympians, uh, world champions, you know, celebrities, but then your average everyday person, of course, right? So like 90% of my clients were, were your typical men and women looking to transform their bodies, get in better shape, and yes, get a little stronger, all of that. But within that, I used to work at health clubs in my early, early 20s. And I was um, kind of like the person that would go to for in-depth nutrition-based advice. So I would help a lot of the personal trainers in their clients with nutrition because I know that you have a lot of personal trainers, you know, as part of your community as well. And that part is just not taught. You know, you're, you learn a lot about the exercise physiology, the kinesiology, but you don't learn about the nutrition. So that's where I developed a little niche from there. And it kind of stuck with me. So probably about 25 to 30% of everyone that I see in my practice or other doctors, chiropractors, uh, personal trainers, yoga instructors, people that know what they're talking about. So we go in depth and it's kind of fun because I don't go just surface level with them. I, I can go pretty deep, which is great. But I do like to custom tailor it to everyone that I do work with. And I would say that um, digestive issues and hormones are a big part of my practice as well. Okay, cool. So and, and why do you feel like that is so prevalent? Like what got you into this in the first place? And why do you feel like you keep seeing, there's got to be kind of an overwhelming theme of why you keep seeing people with digestive and hormonal issues. Would you agree? Yeah, without a doubt. And I think uh, typically what happens is they kind of coincide at the same time. So if we think about it, we, there's no, if you think about exercise, there's a periodization exercise, right? A lot of people do four week or six week based programs. They start with an unloading week and they begin to ramp up each week. You know, a lot, a lot of people train like that and they, they work uh, up to, uh, to the best that they can reach, right? Their potential before switching things up. Well, we don't have a periodization in life, right? It is go, go, go all the time. Well, that's ramping up our cortisol levels. So that ramps up stress. Well, stress is just stress. We don't really think about it. But what happens is it turns on the sympathetic nervous system of the body. And the sympathetic nervous system very specifically begins to decrease inflammation in the short term, but allow for a proliferation of inflammation in the long term, which means in the long term, it takes longer to recover from your exercise. Your foods are, you're just more sensitive to them. And you're not bringing as much blood flow to the stomach because only when you're in the parasympathetic nervous system are you truly breaking down and digesting your food. So I look at it as a two-pronged approach, meaning that if you're very stressed, digestive system issues are literally right around the corner. I love that. And it's so practical to so many people. I think most people, especially those listening who are training very hard, they think of training as their only stress to recover from, right? They don't think about the the huge diet calorie deficit they're in. They don't think about work stress, family stress, all these different things. And I'm sure they affect our nervous system, our hormonal system as a whole versus just training. 
Without a doubt. And that's why, you know, training hard is best served when you really are in college or it's, it's when you get a lot of sleep and you can eat well and you can get as much food and good quality food ideally as you, as possible. Because once you start to have a family and you've got kids and like last night, you can hear my voice. I was up maybe six times, like literally six times with my oldest daughter who's sick. Right. So she has a virus, she has a cold and I have to take care of it because she's not going to do it on her own. So what happens is would today be my best training day? No, but let's say I decide to push through it anyways. What happens is no one workout is going to make or break you. But over time, if I push my body this hard and I wasn't getting sleep and I wasn't getting the proper nutrition, eventually I would break down. But then I would say, oh, it was this one workout. It was never the one workout. It led up to that unless it was an accident. And accidents, of course, do happen. So I like to look at people, at, you know, the totality of their life. If you're going through a very stressful time in your life, don't make your exercise the most stressful thing focus on sleep, focus on hatha yoga, meditation, lighter workouts. You can still do your workouts. They're just not going to be your personal best unless like you're an athlete. Again, if you're an athlete, then we have to work with you a little bit different because you don't have a choice. This is your job. So now we say, okay, focus on sleep. We're going to have your meals delivered to you. We're going to get your smoothies. We're going to get everything you need. So I like to look at nothing in a bubble and your exercise as well. Can't be, you know, as its own little solo bubble. Oh man, you're preaching to the choir. And so I have a 10 month old, she'll be 10 months in four days. Um, and funny, I was up all night cause she's actually got a little bit of a fever too. Um, but when we first had her, I was so used to being able to control every aspect of my schedule. I run my own business. I have a garage gym. I can make my schedule. I sleep enough, my diet. And then we had a daughter and it was like, my sleep just was wrecked. And I had to like realize really quick, I can't train the way I once was because I'm just not recovering. So I totally get that. Before we keep diving into all of these topics, um, I want to take a step back and just go over your story because you do have an interesting story. And I know you had some personal uh, situations that kind of happened with you, I believe, that caused your desire to learn all these different aspects to travel and start studying medicine and everything. Um, can you explain to the listeners and myself a little bit more about your history and your story and how this all came about? What gave you the bug to, to learn so much? Yes. So for me, it was getting sick, really sick at 17 years old. You know, it was one of those things where um, I woke up one morning and immediately I knew something was different. Something was wrong. My glands were swollen outside of my neck. They were swollen under my armpits. Uh, my eyes were crusted shut. My tongue was swollen. I had a fever. I could feel it in my entire body. Basically, it felt like the flu. Well, what happened was that flu never went away. So most people after what, three days, four days, they start to get better. They start to feel like they're getting better. I was not getting better. So fast forward a couple months later, I'm missing school. I'm basically been out of school now for a month, two months. It's almost not going to let me allow me to graduate my senior year. So I go back just to make sure that I can graduate. But I was still very sick, being shuffled from doctor to doctor. And there were no answers. And the reason was that my blood work didn't look that bad. The white blood cells were off a little bit, but nothing that would say, okay, this, he has this, this, or this. And that's the problem. When you go to a conventional medicine doctor, and again, they're the best, absolute best in the world at saving lives from an acute based condition. You go to the emergency room when you are literally in a life-saving condition. But if you have a chronic-based illness, there's nothing that they can do to help you get well. Now, they can help you mask the symptoms, that's for sure, because you can use pharmaceuticals to decrease someone's cholesterol. You can artificially decrease their blood pressure. You can uh, put someone on thyroid-based medication. But at no point did you ask, why did they have the high cholesterol in the first place and high blood pressure in the first place or Hashimoto's or low thyroid? Now, the problem is you could blame it on genetics, which a lot of doctors do. The problem is you're only about 25% right with that. 
because when you, yes, you're predisposed to that genetically, but something in your environment triggered it. There was something that went on that allowed for that um, manifestation of it. And the reason we know that is that you were predisposed to high cholesterol, high blood pressure, Hashimoto's when you were five years old. Why didn't you have it then? Well, you went through enough of life that allowed you to build up these toxicities or deficiencies or what may have you that then enabled you to get in this position. So for me, I got very sick at 17 years old, not because it just happened one day and I caught a cold or flu or whatever it might be. It's because for the previous three years, I was on twice a day antibiotics for some minor skin issues for my dermatologist. So he said, well, if it's a bacterial acne-based issue, I'll give you amoxicillin every day, twice a day, and that'll get rid of it. And it did. I mean, it got rid of it for the most part, but it also got rid of the majority of the good bacteria in my gut. So what happens? Well, when 70% of your immune system, maybe more, they're saying up to 80% of your immune system lies in and around your gut. Well, now my entire immune system failed. So I ended up with Addison's disease, which is basically the highest level of uh, chronic fatigue. It's not being able to produce cortisol. So we think of cortisol in the health and fitness industry as a bad thing. Well, it's a bad thing if you have too little of it as well. It's always both sides of the spectrum. If you do not produce enough cortisol, you literally have no anti-inflammatory in your body. You're going to feel in pain and have flu-like symptoms all the time. And you have no get up and go. You literally cannot respond to stress in life. So I had Addison's disease. I had rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, something called myalgic encephalomyelitis. Basically, all my mitochondria were shot because your mitochondria are bacteria. And if you take antibiotics for that long, it's going to destroy the mitochondria as well, which is what a lot of people are doing with conventional line-based treatment. Um, so besides the blood sugar, the autoimmune, and the, the true adrenal-based issues, there were a couple other things I had going on, uh, and it led me in a downward spiral. There was no way for me to really get out of it until I found functional medicine, and that's what got me on this path right now. And this all, what you were being struck with all this at 17 years old, is that correct? 17, yes. That's insane. Supposedly the prime of my life, right? I mean, that was my yeah. senior of high school. I was a three-sport athlete. I was, you know, I only National Honor Society. And I only say that to say all of that was taken from me. Yeah. There was no more sports. I was no longer an academic at all. Like, I, I had brain fog all day long. I would get hot flashes in class. And so all of that was gone. Like, I mean, literally, I'm trying to take my SATs, and I'm just, I can't even see the page. And how long did this uh, process of recovering or even discovering, I should say, like what's going on? Because I know you went to some doctors and they couldn't determine what it was. How long, how many years did it take you, if, if that long, um, to figure this all out? So for about a year, I went to specialist after specialist, uh, right up until essentially I was my freshman year of college. So this happened my beginning of my senior year of high school and then went right through that next summer. So I saw over two dozen specialists because when a doctor doesn't know how to help you, uh, they send you to the next person. And so you basically just get shuffled around. And I was simply a number that eventually the best specialist in the Boston, I mean, I mean I'm talking about these are the best hospitals in the world, right? You arguably, um, Boston has three of the top 20 hospitals in the United States. It's always ranked three, three of the top 20. So these are great doctors. They really are, but not for what I had, not for chronic-based issues. So for about a year that happened, then all of a sudden, I mean, keep in mind, this is the late 90s, right? So there's no internet, at least not in Medford, Massachusetts. And uh, there's no way to figure this out. There's nobody that you know like you. So by chance, a neighbor recommended I go to see this alternative medicine doctor, right? And the alternative medicine doctor was still an MD, but they knew about functional medicine because they studied overseas. So that was my first tip-off. They did not study in the US. They originally studied in Europe and um, in Russia as well. So 
I went to them by chance, low expectations, because we had no idea what this, you know, which doctor was going to do, right? And then all of a sudden, they ran these at-home lab tests, saliva hormone adrenal panel. They ran a food sensitivity test. They ran a gut-based test. Lo and behold, I had all of these imbalances. And then I made the mistake, though, of taking these results to my PCP. My PCP looks at them and then says, okay, now we're going to test for type 2 diabetes. I don't know why they weren't doing that before, but the reason was I wasn't overweight, right? So you don't test for type 2 diabetes in a kid that's 17 years old, uh, especially not one that's you know, overweight. And then uh, they tested for Addison's disease. And that was the kickoff where they did an ACTH stim test and I wasn't producing any cortisol. So that's a serious you know, disease. So you know that doctor was the one that opened my eyes to this, but unfortunately, I went right back to conventional medicine because that's where my head was at. That's how I grew up. So it was many years later of realizing that these pharmaceuticals I was taking, although they were helping to mask the symptoms and I was starting to feel better, it got me through college. It was not enabling me to get well, well. Like I was not recovering fully. I still had brain fog till about 11 a.m., very low energy, couldn't play pickup basketball with my buddies in college because if I did, I would be sick the next day. So that's, I mean, that's what myologic encephalomyelitis is. And so apologize about my voice. I sound like a teenage boy right now going through puberty. Um, <laughs> but, but what happened was um, I eventually met a lot of great wealth, uh, wellness-based uh, practitioners out there with a wealth of information. And it was a journey. I got well over 10 years. I tell people right now, it should, no, it should not take you 10 years to get well. It should probably take most people, even the most serious, about four to six months uh, to get well if you have all the information in front of you. So uh, in, insane story, by the way. It's super powerful. And I love um, always going into the background of people because it was, I've heard your story before, but it's so much more intense when I'm talking to you. I want to pick apart something you said, and you mentioned um, something along the lines of like removing all these toxicities. And I believe in your book, you have like a huge list of all these different toxicities or things you have to remove. Um, can you explain that process? Cause you kind of just brushed over it about like, you know, we might be more susceptible to Hashimoto's or high blood pressure, all these things genetically, but it's these environmental toxins or whatever that are causing them to manifest over time. I'm assuming you had to do some kind of audit to your lifestyle to remove things in order to start healing the actual root cause. Um, can you explain what these, this list of toxins are? Yeah, without a doubt. And, and this is growing each year. And, and certainly there's a lot more information we have now than we did 20 years ago. 20 years ago was the infancy of functional medicine. So what we know now is that there are over 77,000 man-made uh, chemicals in the environment. That means that man-made synthetic chemicals. And these are things like DDT, which are still around from you know, Vietnam. We have uh, pesticides. We have uh, other toxins as well, like aluminum and mercury. Well, so I had no shortage of those. I had high levels of aluminum, high levels of mercury. But, and those did have to be removed. Part of it was also my diet, right? So I was, I was so sick, but the one thing I said to myself, if I can control one thing, it's what my body looks like and what I can do with it. So I'm, I'm a typical hard gainer, you know, like I can put on muscle, but I have to work hard for it. So I had to eat my way out of, you know, being quite thin and I, and I wanted to build up my body because I think I felt a sense of security that if I could change my body, then that made me feel maybe a little bit more secure on the outside because certainly on the inside, I wasn't doing well. So I was eating, again, I'm a, I'm a poor college kid. So every night I'm eating a bag of uh, rice, minute rice and a can of tuna on top with some olive oil, right? It's cheap, costs like $2 total and uh, it's a lot of calories. Well, if you eat canned tuna for that long, you're going to build up your mercury levels at quite high rate. So I had to certainly, um, that was one big part of the issue, but really, you know, the major issue was this. 
is that I took antibiotics for that long. This could happen to anybody that's used antibiotics, even just once or twice. We see it in kids. Um, Advil, ibuprofen, uh, alcohol, if, if females that listen to your show are on birth control. What happens is it allows for a proliferation of negative base bacteria to overgrow. So I had SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, but I also had massive candida overgrowth. Because if you think about it, you're taking antibiotics, which are antibacterial, but they're not antifungal. So even though the medical literature for conventional medicine says you must prescribe someone Saccharomyces boulardii when you take antibiotics, right? But they never do that because Saccharomyces boulardii is not a prescription. It's an over-the-counter. So they have to go make people go find it. And then conventional medicine doctors have to be careful about recommending supplements. It's this crazy tangled web. And so what happened to me was that the only way I was ever going to heal, like regardless of the stress, regardless of the mercury levels, whatever it might be, I had to fix my gut. I had massive intestinal permeability every time I ate all that protein because I was, again, I was doing bodybuilding, right? So I'm at 250 grams to 300 grams of protein per day. And again, this is old school mentality, but that's what I was doing. And to be honest, I mean, it worked, right? But at the, at the consequence of my own health as well, it was only getting worse. I thought I was doing something good for my body. So what happened was I was spilling proteins in my blood that made my immune system even more reactive and that created even more autoimmune issues. So what I had to do was I had to go about removing the candida, removing the bacterial overgrowth, another thing called H. pylori that lives in the stomach, and then I had to seal up my gut wall. Once I did that, I then began to start the healing process. That was the beginning. What are some of these uh, environmental things that we have to Remove. And the reason I say this is because I want to have something applicable. I was reading a part of your book, which I'll link in the show notes, fantastic book. And there was a part of it where you don't quote me on this, but it was something along the lines of like, your shirt has chemicals, the, the place you're sitting in has chemicals, um, the food you're eating, the container you're eating out of it. And like, you kind of list all these things that we run into that have chemicals or toxins. How does somebody in an applicable fashion remove these things so we can begin to chase health without being overwhelmed? Because it can be like, well, shit, everything around me. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm curious of what you started doing and how you kind of implement that with clients so it's not overwhelming. Yeah, that's a great, great question. And what I let people know is you're not going to escape all 77,000. It's not going to happen. The average person though leaves their house being exposed to 127 different chemicals. So that's just before you leave the house. And the reason is this, it was shown that about 52% of Americans, 54% to 56% of everyone in the UK um, has a mold or dampness-based problem in their house, meaning their basement or their air ducts, right, for their HVAC are growing some type of mold spores in there. Now, unless it's black mold, it's most likely invisible, right? It's blowing through the air. So you're being exposed to mold. That's a big one, right? That affects allergies and respiratory issues and the immune system if it's always fighting that. But the big one that I look for, because I just the reason I mentioned that is that a lot of these toxins are invisible. But here's the thing, is that we have to start with our bath and our kitchen. If we can do that, we can remove the vast amount of toxins. So when you use any type of cosmetic-based uh, products, let's say it's a moisturizer, let's say it's a shampoo or conditioner, make sure that it's all natural, that it's actually food-based so that it doesn't contain any of the sodium laurate, that it doesn't contain the triclosan, that your toothpaste is all natural as well, that that doesn't contain, I know there's a big debate over fluoride, and you could debate all you want about putting fluoride in your teeth, but there's no way that you should be swallowing it, right? So your tap water, should not um, have fluoride in it. So I recommend using a water filter or a Berkey filter or buying spring water. 
And then we get into your uh, pots and pans. You do not want them aluminum based. They can be stainless steel with an aluminum core, but if you're using an aluminum spatula and you're using an aluminum pan and you're just scraping it, making a stir fry, whatever it is, you're actually getting small amounts of aluminum shavings. The reason I mentioned aluminum, and I did a whole podcast on this as well, is that aluminum is the most pervasive metal that I see in my practice when doing testing. And it is one of the major causal factors we're finding right now to, if not causing dementia, being one of the factors that leads to dementia. And that's because of free radical, free radical oxidative damage to the brain. Because aluminum can bypass and be locked on to pass that blood-brain barrier. So my goal is to help people just, you know, just say it doesn't have to happen overnight, but you can start to use a ceramic pan. You can start to use a copper pan. You can start to use a stainless steel one. Uh, you can use a bamboo spatula. So there's alternatives. And that's what it's all about is it's not even spending more money. It's just being a little bit more conscious. And one website that I always refer to, and I do talk about this in my book, is that it's called ewg.org. So it's called the Environmental Working Group. The work that they do is tremendous. You can actually search the products you're using right now and find the toxicity score of those products. I love that. I'm going to link that in the show notes. And I think the cool thing about what you just listed off is, like you said, it's not necessarily more expensive or, or these crazy new habits you have to implement into your life. It's literally just buying a different product. So it really comes down to building awareness. So kudos to you for building that awareness. Um, and I think all of this is kind of encompassing in what I'm about to ask you next, but I'm curious of, so the listeners can hear too, because this is what your book is titled, The Rain Barrel Effect. What is the rain barrel effect? How did you come up with that name? And can you just describe what this concept or theory is? Without a doubt, excuse me. And so what I want people to know is that the rain barrel effect affects everyone in every area of their life. So I talk about it from a health perspective, but let's talk about it from repetitive motion injury. So you work with a tennis player, you work with a golfer, they go out and they're playing and then all of a sudden they end up with some type of epicondylitis or they end up with tennis elbow or a golfer's elbow. Well, again, it most likely did not happen from one round. It happened from many days of practice, probably overdoing it with not enough time off or not enough of the active work, of the active rest, meaning like their massage or soft tissue work or active release, whatever it might be. So what do they do? Well, they filled up their rain barrel, right? They filled up the maximum capacity of load that their body could take, and then they got injured. Well, in terms of our health, you look at me in 17 years old, right? I took three years before that of antibiotics every single day, but also through childhood. I had sinus infections, I had allergies, I was on Benadryl, I was on Flonase, I was on all sorts of different things that would also affect my gut. Well, all of a sudden I woke up that one day at 17 years old and I was extremely sick. I didn't know what it was, I just thought I did something wrong the day before, right? Well, it turns out it was 17 years of making the decisions such as drinking Kool-Aid, you know, all day long, and which has all sorts of different dyes in it. I was eating Fruity Pebbles and Captain Crunch for breakfast. I was eating Little Debbie snacks because I didn't gain weight. So if you don't gain weight, then obviously it's okay, right? So that was the issue I dealt with. So when I see people in my practice, I say, listen, you got here from an accumulation or a deficiency-based issue meaning that your body is sick or at least it's not optimal right now because you have toxicities built up. Maybe it's heavy metals, maybe it's viruses, uh, maybe it's candida, SIBO. It could be any number of things, right? It could be toxic from the environment. Or you have a deficiency because you've trained hard and not eaten properly or your balance was all diverted towards one way. It was too much of one thing. Then you became deficient in certain B vitamins or you became deficient in vitamin C, which we see as a big one. So um, what I look at is saying, 
the rain barrel effect is happening every day of your life. Your job is to continue to empty that rain barrel before it overflows because when it overflows, that's when you get diagnosed with the disease or the mystery-based illness or the injury. And for those people that don't know what a rain barrel is, it's simply, it collects, it collects rainwater that falls off the house from a gutter. And what it does is it protects your property, protects your lawn from basically all this water destroying it. But nobody ever checks the rain barrel. And so what happens eventually is that rain barrel does overflow and it causes the same damage you didn't want to in the first place. So I'm sure we can get into it, but there are protocols that you can do to empty your rain barrel to allow you to not have to deal with all these diseases in the first place. Yeah, that's actually what I want to get into next. So I'm curious of first assessing, how do you assess? I'm assuming you have multiple tests and and different protocols you go through. So I'd love to hear more about that, especially with like, I mean, there's obviously a lot of hormonal tests and then there's food sensitivity tests, which I hear a lot of debate on going back and forth of whether they have merit and stuff. So I'd love to get your opinion on that. Um, And then obviously once you've gone through this assessment and discovered what's going on, why their rain barrel is full, what is the next step and what do you, uh, I believe you have kind of like an onboarding system or a detox that you take people through to get them started. So I'd love to kind of just go over that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. And let's start with the, the food sensitivity because that's a good one. That's, it is very confusing. So food sensitivity is not straightforward. And that's the problem is that you have many immune cells in your body. So your secretory IgA, let's just call it IgA, Ig stands for immunoglobulin. So when I say that, it just means basically a white blood cell, an immune cell. Well, an IgA response is what's in the mucus of the mouth or the mucus of the nose. And that's the first thing to pick up any alert, right? It could be a virus, it could be bacteria, it could be whatever it might be. And then it gets these things called macrophages or different types of immune cells to go after that. So that, that's a great thing. Well, with the food sensitivity, when you get hives or you get a headache or you get Uh, fatigued afterwards, or you get itchy skin, all of those are related to what's called an IgE sensitivity. So that I think of E as immediately. That's how I teach it in my practice. So that means that when you eat a food within 20 minutes to maybe two hours, you're going to have a reaction. Again, it could be the itchy skin. It could be the itchy eyes. It could be, you know, a histamine type reaction, whatever it might be. But then there's the delayed reaction. And that's what we test for my practice. Because I just believe that if you become more in tune with your body, you know that if you eat shellfish and you start to get itchy, you know that you're having a sensitivity to that, right? You, you begin to pick that up. And I think a lot of people um, are becoming more in tune with their body. But what's hard to figure out is a reaction that you have from an IgG perspective where you eat a food, and I'll give you my example, um, and you react to it one to three days later, so up to 72 hours later. By three days later, who could, I mean, could you, I mean, we, we can't figure out what we ate three days ago, right? Because we've had at least nine meals since then, most likely, even if you're only eating three meals a day. And if all of those three meals a day each have four ingredients, well, now you're getting into complicated math that I'm not willing to do on a podcast. I think it's like 36 <laughs> different ingredients, right? So it's hard to pinpoint which one it is. So that's why we lab test for that. So again, I was eating pretty cleanly when I was in college to try to get the body that I wanted. And I was, I was, cause I was reading, right. I read thousands of books to try to get my body better because again, this is in the late nineties and the, again, at least where I was, I didn't have internet access. I know a lot of people did. I didn't even have a computer. So I read the one thing I could control are the books I could read. And I would just read voraciously because it was more interesting than me than all the other, you know, liberal arts education I was getting. It just wasn't that exciting. And that's obviously why I became a personal trainer in college and why I became a nutritionist because I felt like I had control of that, that aspect. I could work my body and I could work the food I put in my mouth. But then also, you know, like that was interesting to me and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, right? Because I had it taken from what I wanted that I thought. Well, 
the interesting thing is this, is that I then did a food sensitivity test when I was um, probably my junior year of college by that same doctor, the functional medicine doctor. And I found out that I was sensitive to chicken. I was eating that twice a day. And I was sensitive to almonds. I was sensitive to random things as well. But I was also sensitive, and I did not want to believe this, to whey protein. Because whey protein, I was told, right, and again, I'm not totally against it, but that it was great because the immunoglobulins in it, it would help my immune system. And, and it was a great source of protein. And it was clean and all these different things. Well, when I eliminated those, the bloat went down dramatically. Now, again, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I don't even know what bloat is, right? So it's not even doesn't, part of my vocabulary. But I leaned out just from doing that. I didn't decrease calories, but my, my abs, everything came out more because I wasn't inflamed, right? And who would think that you'd be sensitive to almonds? So it just goes to show that um, these tests are very powerful. So the first part of my assessment is if people are able to, is I love to run the functional medicine lab test. And that simply means a urine test for gut-based issues called an organic acids test, a stool test for parasites, uh, a, a finger prick for food sensitivities. We run that for hormones as well with saliva and a hair tissue mineral analysis. Now they don't have to run all of them. They can run the one that they might see fit for them or they could run them all, it's up to them. But if you do that, it, you get to the point where I always say you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you finally want to know what is going on with your body, you lab test and you will be able to figure it out. One question I would have on the food sensitivities, just because I've heard so many things is, um, and I don't know if it was the IgA or the, the opposite, but basically when I eat, consume a food, I have a response in my body. And that's if I, let's say, were to go take a food sensitivity test and I've eaten that food within 24 hours, it's more likely to trigger that response and kind of confuse the test. And what I've read stories about is just poor quality tests. So I, I'm really just asking, how can people navigate to make sure um, if they don't come see you directly, how can they make sure they're not taking a poor quality food sensitivity test and getting wrong information? Or does that even exist? Yeah. No, no, that, that is a great question. And, and you're right. So let, let's, you know, kind of unpack that, break that down. So the, you want to go with a company that is not, I haven't, I take issue with a lot of these, I call them like Silicon Valley uh, at-home lab tests that people are doing, right? I'm not going to name any names because I don't disparage companies, but they're built on marketing. They're not built on functional medicine. So as a practitioner, all we care about is getting people results, right? Like my entire name is based on, I have to get you the results that you want. That's it. Like that's my whole job is with the, a lot of these other companies, you don't know who they are. You don't know, you know what they're doing. Uh, but the other thing I'll say is that I don't own any of these labs. I, run, I use all outside labs. I don't have any of my own. What I do um, with equilibrium nutrition is bring together the best outside labs. So for example, we offer, I think about 11 different labs and out of those 11 labs, there's seven different companies. And so it's pretty crazy because they all offer all the same labs. So why don't I use the same labs by every single one? And it's just like with nutritional supplements is that there's no one company that's the absolute best at everything. Like you're not the best at making a, um, collagen and also the best at making, I don't know, whatever, like pick another supplement, right? Creatine, so that's whatever. what I look at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, that's how I look at it. And then I do, I go a step further because again, I have to get people results. A lot of times they come to us as, as maybe the last resort, which, um, I appreciate and I can understand that. Right. Cause I, I met my mentor who's basically my last resort. So what I do is I double blind them myself. I run both of the labs myself the same day, the same time of day, I pay for them myself and I ship them to the lab. They have to come back exactly the same for me to use that lab. 
and then I'll unpack that one step further. For the IgG or any of these, that is the goal. So when people say you're going to be more reactive when you ate that food, they're absolutely correct. If your body sees an object that is not you, part of human, right? There's going to be a minor reaction and you actually want that. So when I run an IgG test and there are no black lines indicating no sensitivities and they're just like completely eliminated, they're not even mild, then I say this person literally has a shutdown immune system. And we see that all the time in rheumatoid arthritis and a lot of other autoimmune-based issues. Now I'll go one step further. We ask people to purposely eat their normal diet and all the foods they would like to test for two days before they do the lab test to check for that IgG response. And the reason is if you don't eat the food, you're gonna be less likely to have a response because your immune cells will not have seen it to react in the first place. So essentially both parties are correct. It's like, what are you looking for? I'm looking to see if there's a reaction to the food. So if I wanna test whey protein again, I have to consume whey protein, right? If I haven't consumed it in years, ideally my white blood cells will still not be armed and ready to attack whey protein. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. I think it just comes down to uh, interpreting this entire concept properly. And I think you did a really good job of educating us on that. That's why the numbers don't matter. Honestly, like that's so important. That's a really good point. You have to find a local functional medicine doctor or order the labs online with someone that you trust. And the reason is that it's all about who's interpreting your test, right? Because they could recommend one course of action or another or not look at it as the totality of the test. So yes, absolutely. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I wanted to just remind you that one of the biggest things about the Boom Boom Performance movement is free content. We are literally here trying to change the world. And part of doing that is trying to give away as much free shit as possible. Literally, we want to educate the world on how to live a better life from our physical body to our mental sanity. We want to work with everybody possible and help them get educated on what it means to have proper nutrition, smart training, and live a healthier lifestyle to improve every aspect of their life. And part of that is giving away as much free content as possible as well as offering some really cool stuff to you guys, the listeners, the followers, the subscribers, whoever is listening to the show right now. So I want to remind you that we have tons of eBooks. We have the membership site. We offer coaching. We give away free seminars. We do so much stuff and all of it can be found at boomboomperformance.com slash content. Or you can click the first link you see in the description of this podcast on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to it. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the podcast. I love that. So let's, let's dig into the detox protocol that you use. Cause I know like after we've gone through this process and we see that this person has food sensitivities, maybe a cortisol issues or thyroid issues, whatever it may be. Do you run this detox protocol through almost anybody to just kind of wipe the slate clean? Like, can you kind of break that strategy down and who you use it for? So we use the, um, the, the functional medicine detox. And so a lot of people, and detoxes certainly have a bad name. It's like saying cleanse, right? Like we don't, nobody even knows what that is. It's, yeah. it's kind of made up terminology. <laughs> so what we're talking about though for a detox is it's literally giving your liver phase one and phase two uh, nutrients. So I, I break this down as well. It's because it is science-based, right? It's like, it's, if you say like, um, I don't believe in detoxes, well, then you don't believe in human physiology, right? You don't believe that your body actually takes these fat-soluble toxins it moves them through the liver, basically this, it's called the cytochrome P450 pathway. It uses B vitamins, it uses uh, glutathione, it uses vitamin E and vitamin C to turn these fat-soluble toxins into what's called an intermediary metabolite. Then it uses 
um, your cruciferous vegetables, right? It uses uh, sulforaphane and it uses glycine and acetylcysteine to create more glutathione. And that's what then changes this harmful toxin to what's called a water-soluble toxin that you can then eliminate it harmlessly as long as you're not constipated through your stool. You can eliminate through your urine, your sweat, or even huff off a little bit of it through your lungs. So what we do is we ramp up that liver detox pathway. That's it. It's not complicated. It's not dangerous. It's obviously very safe. You're giving your body more of already what it needs. That's really it. And it incorporates though fasting. So the fasting allows for greater toxin removal because if you're not putting in more food, then your body gets to work through this process called autophagy. And autophagy is this uh, amazing process that our bodies innately come with. And we're hearing more about it, right? But in 2016, it won the Nobel Prize in medicine for oncology, which is cancer research. And it found that after fasting for just 18 hours, your body begins to destroy cancer cells. It begins to destroy necrotic tissue. It's absolutely amazing. So we essentially have a two and a half day uh, built-in liquid fast. You're having these specific shakes for the first two days. And then you're eating uh, whole food meals um, on the days three through seven. Now, we like to do that for everyone to clean the slate, right? Before we then get into what's called a bio-individual-based plan. Because if you were to run a lab with me, even though you eat well, you exercise well, I'm guaranteeing you that you're short on some vitamin, some mineral, whether it's magnesium, calcium, glycose, right? That's why we run the labs. And because of that, we would then also give you a bio-individualized plan. That means I would give you exactly what your body needs. Now, Am I going to do that for the rest of your life? Most likely not. I'm going to shore up your deficiencies. That will take me about 12 to 16 weeks before all of those red blood cells turn over. And then my goal is to make sure that the new group of red blood cells have everything that they need. And then after that, we'll begin to wean you off most of those nutritional supplements, except for a foundational protocol to give you all of your methylated vitamins and minerals on a daily basis. Not a mega dose, but a standard dose that you most likely won't be getting on a daily basis from all of your food. So um, I, again, I'm a whole food um, kind of guy, like that's the way that it is. But I just know that with people, I mean, most people that are dieting and getting 1,200, 1,600 calories a day, I mean, good luck getting every vitamin and mineral that you need because the soil degradation is there, right? We could talk about an hour on soil degradation and how even eating organic is not going to have the same level of vitamins and minerals that it did 100 years ago because you're not using manure as a fertilizer and you're not using a three crop rotation. So there, it, this goes, you know, very, very deep. So what we, do, what we do, though, is we understand that not everyone is going to be able to run a functional medicine lab with us. So what we do is we say, you're going to be able to run a detox, ideally a 21-day to start, and then use a, use a foundational-based protocol. Again, it doesn't have to be ours. My job and my, um, you know, where I get the most joy from are teaching other practitioners and teaching everyday people of how to live a healthier life, but also that they take control of their own body. So we even tell people, you can go to our website, you can read the labels, and if yours matches up, then use your product. Like, that's what it's all about. So that's what we're trying to teach is just, there's no way that you or I could help every person in the world, but if we can teach them, then they can figure it out on their own. I, I really do think education is the biggest key um, inside coaching, inside practice in general. So I'm glad that you said that because we talk about that all the time. So when somebody goes through this detox process, what is the next step? How do you begin to, I, I assume there's some kind of individualization process. Um, I know that food quality is of big importance rather than necessarily just macros and stuff like that for you guys. What does it look like? What do you recommend for their diet on a daily basis? How do you end up 
providing a plan after this detox is done? Or do some people have to run the detox again because they're not ready yet? No, so the, the detox is for the general public. So um, anyone, anywhere, we, we literally ship this to 19 countries worldwide. Got it. And only a fraction of those people ever do the lab testing because the lab testing has a cost to it, right? I mean, it has, it has a real cost to it. The detox, you do that for a week, it will cost you less than the cost of food. I mean, you're still buying your lunches and dinners, but if you look at it, there's no breakfast to be purchased. There's, the first two days, there's no food. But the functional medicine lab tests are not covered by insurance. And they weren't even 20 years ago. And the reason they're not is they don't diagnose disease. They help people get healthy and stay healthy. That's the problem is we don't reward that in our culture. Uh, will they in Europe? Yes, they have more of a universal health care and they actually pay to help people try to get healthy. So it's a little different. So for the talks, we, um, for example, this, this won't be published in time, but we run our community detox. Now, keep in mind, people are doing on their every day, everywhere in the world. But we run our own detox as a part of our community every 12 weeks. And we do that because that's what they've done for thousands of years. Every season, so we have four seasons, especially if you live in New England where I live, you, you, every season you're basically cleaning out your body. Because although they did not have the man-made chemicals 6,000 years ago in Ayurvedic medicine, you still accumulate toxins. You accumulate toxins from eating. You accumulate toxins from poor digestion. You accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And we always had this built into our bodies. So uh, that is what we do. And then in terms of uh, maintenance for the detox, well, we recommend people then begin to live more of a detox-based lifestyle. Start to maybe do some infrared sauna, some dry brushing before they get the, sauna, uh, before they get the shower in the morning. We recommend a smoothie for breakfast with an all-in-one shake. Um, so the reason we recommend that is most people's breakfast is going to be, well, it's going to be too heavy for them in the first place. So it's going to be um, drain a lot of their energy, which is why, you know, people need so much caffeine in the first place. But also our goal is to get people seven to nine servings of fruit and vegetables per day, predominantly vegetables. And you're not able to do that over two meals. I, for most people, there's just no way you can digest four cups of vegetables for most people. Now, if you cook them, it makes it a little bit easier, right? So what we do is we get uh, one or two cups of berries or so, and we can put some greens and different things like that in the smoothie in the morning. And people can talk about food combined and all that. But remember, we're talking about general public. If there's no digestive-based issues, if there's digestive issues, then you should run the lab test and find out why you have the digestive issues, right? Remember, there's a contraindication for everything. That's the way the health and fitness works. Right. So the other thing is when you do liquid before lunch, if you do an easy to digest smoothie for breakfast, you put in everything that you need, it takes very little energy for your digestion and you still get your protein, you still get your carbs and you still get healthy fat. Now you can decide what to put in that. Um, and I'm, I'll tell you right now, that is one of the best ways to continue with that detoxification process. So I want to dig into intermittent fasting because you talked about that here uh, just a minute ago. Uh, but I also am curious now that you recommend this like lighter approach in the morning. Do you... I know carb backloading was such a big thing for a while. And when intermittent fasting first came out, it was like the whole like 16 hour fast and then you eat this huge meal at night. Um, I think studies are alluding to now, and I'd love to get your take on this is longer fasts are typically more recommended for autophagy and, and just better health and things like that. Um, do you recommend like the bigger calorie meal being at night because of this to ease the digestion in the morning? Um, and then also like, how do you implement intermittent fasting? Yeah, without a doubt. <clears throat> and you know, we have to keep in mind that there's a lot of overreaction in the short term and an underreaction in the long term, right? So it's kind of like the principles that aren't as exciting are the ones that get pushed to the side, but they'll eventually be the ones that pan out to be the truth. 
because the longer fasts get you so much more benefit. Fasting every day for 16 hours works for very few people. Now, will it work for some? Of course, absolutely. But then they'll preach it that it should work for everyone. So in my practice, I lab test. And I'll tell you right now, those people that fast from dinner to lunch the next day, and they're still drinking coffee for breakfast, and they're still amped up with getting the kids ready or traffic or getting ready for work or whatever it is, and they're stressed. And I, and I really break this down on you know podcasts and a little bit in the book as well, is that your body, when it produces cortisol at a higher level, it goes into a process of looking for glucose. That's just the way that it is. You don't get to choose to burn body fat at a higher rate just because you've decided not to eat. That's just not the way that it works. If you are in an, a relaxed, aerobic, parasympathetic state, then yes, you do. And that's why you will burn more fat at a greater percentage after dinner, sitting on the couch and sleeping throughout the night and being in a more relaxed state. Now, once you ramp up in a fast glycolytic-based state or you ramp up and your body's saying, I need fuel now because I'm in a survival-based state, it's going to start to break down liver glycogen, which is why if you just use a $20 glucometer at home, you can see if your blood sugar stays below 95. And if it does, well, then great. You're still really in that body fat burning zone, right? But if not, you're stressed. You might as well eat breakfast in the first place because those carbs then are going to be glycogen sparing for your liver. But more importantly, it's going to calm the nervous system because carbs calm cortisol, protein does not, and fat does not. And also it's going to spare muscle. So if you're worried about losing muscle, then fasting that long, probably not the best thing in the world. Now, if you look at an endomorphic body type or the kapha body type, they can preach all day long that they fast for and have one meal a day because their bodies are naturally anabolic. They're much larger. When you look at their wrists, you look at their calves, they're genetically and naturally much, much larger than an ectomorph or um, even an ecto slash mesomorph. So this is where we get into bioindividuality. You know, this is really that, that key. But for the most part, if we're talking about, again, general public, we're not saying not to eat carbs. We're saying that those people that are more insulin uh, desensitized, who don't do as well with carbs, we're going to use more vegetables and lower glycemic berries. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to eat them. You are, but the, the type differs, not the amount necessarily. And then also those people that are hard gainers or they need the fuel, they're going to have more of the sweet potatoes, the yams, the yuca, the starches. They might even have oatmeal and some rice. So again, it's always asking for who and not necessarily which diet is always best because there's no one best diet. Right. Let's say somebody's listening and they just want to improve digestion, gut health, um, prevent any disease, and they're really just looking to chase health. How frequently should they be fasting and how long should that fast be? Yeah, that's a great question. Almost everyone, except those people with hypoglycemia or adrenal-based issues, should fast for 12 hours overnight every single night. So they should stop eating at approximately 7 p.m. at night, ideally a little bit earlier. And people can say, well, I work the night shift. Remember, nothing's perfect. We're talking about a perfect world, though. And in a perfect world, you are stopping eating two to three hours before bed. And you should be going to bed by 9.30, 10 p.m. And again, we could talk about this all day as well, why you should be going to bed at that time. And just a quick one is that that is the lowest drop in cortisol you get is at 9.30 p.m. Then people say, well, there are studies that show that people have higher cortisol at night and they are really night owls. Well, those studies are also skewed and inaccurate because they are saying, yes, like it, just like a food sensitivity test, you are correct. Those people on a lab test have higher cortisol at night, but that is a diphasic dysfunction. That means they are producing cortisol at the wrong time of the day. The body produces cortisol 
when the pineal gland or the pineal gland senses light and that shuts off melatonin. If that does not happen, you will have serious immune issues. And those people typically live seven years less than their counterparts. So you want to get to bed by about 10 p.m. and uh, ideally a little earlier if possible. And you want to go to bed with an empty stomach. So two to three hours before that. Then you will not eat that until about 7 a.m. that next morning. Now, if you start your morning slowly and you're relaxed and you might be doing some morning stretching, you have a, couple, a cup of tea, some lemon water, then you might extend it for 13 hours or 14 hours. But once you start your day and you're ramped up, there's nothing wrong with fueling your body. You're not going to put on weight if you eat appropriately, right? Like if you eat appropriate for your body, but also that you fix your hormonal issues. If you look at carbohydrates and you gain weight, there's most likely some type of insulin, estrogen, or, and or thyroid-based issue. And we need to fix that. Like that's the bottom line. It doesn't mean that these things are bad. It means that your body's imbalanced. We need to fix that. So in my practice, everyone essentially, except for like 1%, are doing a 12-hour fast. And then each week, once a person's healthy, they can do a once-a-week 24-hour fast if they choose to. And I typically do mine Sunday night. So I have dinner with my family on Sunday. And then I actually have dinner with them again on Monday night because it's, it's also communal. I'm going home. I'm having dinner with my family. So I don't eat for 24 hours, though, from 6 p.m. Sunday night to 6 p.m. Monday night. And that gives me a full day fast. It's not a workout day. It's my busiest day at work. And it just, the day flies by. I drink lots of water. I put sea salt in it. I put some squeezed lime in it. I might have a ginger tea. And I'm just going through the day. And the next thing I know, I did 24 hours. So then I recommend the longer fast, which is the two to three days with a detox that we do every 12 weeks. I love it. That's so applicable. And when you're fasting, um, how can I say this? What's acceptable within that fast? And the reason I ask is, I don't know if you're familiar with, I want to say it's Dr. Uh, Suchin Panda or Panda Suchin. I can't remember. Dr. Rhonda Patrick had him on her podcast and he talks a lot about circadian rhythm and stuff. And he claims that you can't have anything in a fast. So like black coffee, tea, anything is going to spike some form of insulin or take you out of that um, fast. And then I've also heard you talk about um, people assume they're fasting or having a low cortisol in the mornings, but they're drinking coffee and not eating. And it's the same effect. And I'm just curious of like, what's acceptable um, for the purposes of long-term fast. And then obviously the short-term fast digestion, if that's the goal, it might be different. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess I just want the people to understand like what they can actually do within that fasting window. Yeah, without a doubt. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the other thing is this, it's, it's, I mean, we've worked with over 300, well, just about now, 300,000 uh, client appointments. So we've got a lot of data. And the truth is this, there's what we want people to do, but then there's also the real world, right? So what I say is, what are people going to be able to do? If you will not fast or do the detox because you have to eliminate coffee, then I'm taking the detox with coffee all day long, right? Because I know that you're going to get more benefits that are outweighed by that one cup of coffee. Now, will I ask you to not put your cow's milk cream or anything like that in your coffee? Yes. Will I ask you to keep it zero calories? Yes. Will I ask you to go from, you know, your large venti or whatever it's called, Starbucks coffee to a small? Yes. You know, like that's what I'll do. I'll play let's make a deal. Um, but ideally, um, and I'm not familiar with the actual show that you spoke about, but it's absolutely correct. If you drink coffee, it's, it's, it is person dependent. But many people, when they drink coffee, they will get a spike in cortisol. When you spike cortisol, your body will look for a faster fuel source. 
that is glucose. It is not lipolysis. Now, will your body tap into lipolysis? Yes, it will. But it will also look for glucose. If your body does not have carbs, which it won't on a fast, it will begin to break down the stored glucose, which is called glycogen in your liver. And that is part of a process called gluconeogenesis, which also can use amino acids. That will bring that stored glycogen, turn it into glucose, bring it into your bloodstream. Your blood sugar will be spiked. Your body will then begin to use that as an energy fuel source rather than scavenging a lot of the bacteria and things like that out there. So, however, if you're healthy, that will go back down within 90 minutes to two hours. So yes, you might've been pulled out of the fast temporarily, but you'll be right back in it after that. So that's why I say nothing's perfect. No one's perfect. Do the best you can. And there are also those people that um, advocate just a dry fast. You're not even drinking water. So it's like, how, how deep do you want to take this? Right. And so for me, I feel really good staying hydrated during the day. I don't over drink water so they get lightheaded or like that. Um, and I'm just consuming what my body says to thirst and then I'm having dinner that night. And then I'm doing my larger fast over three days, which is two and a half days every 12 weeks. And we are doing, um, it's only about, it's approximately 200 calories per day. And there are, it's almost zero carbs and it's very, very little fat. And it's just enough protein to have the amino acids to help with the phase one and phase two detox. And here's why. When you start to get deep into this, people are releasing. Remember, when you start to burn body fat, you can have what's called a Herxheimer-based reaction. And that can feel like fluid symptoms, headaches, migraines, skin rashes, low mood, poor sleep, et cetera. And the reason is that inside of your fat stores, are it's 300 times as toxic as your blood. And that's because your body uses adipose tissue to store toxins. I don't know if you're an MMA fan or not, but I'm, I'm a fan. I've done martial arts most of my life. Well, we just had UFC 232 with John Jones, and he tested positive again for this banned substance. And they talk about this thing called pulsing. Well, there is a lot of people saying that, oh, you know, he was still using, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but this is a real thing. When he is burning body fat because he's losing so much weight, he's cutting at least 30 pounds, people don't know this, the couple days before. When he's losing that adipose tissue, that body fat, all of those stored toxins that were there for a year, two years, however long, are now coming out into his bloodstream. That is why we use a functional medicine detox to very quickly ramp up the liver's ability to get that out of the body. Because if not, it's very dangerous. Now you've released all of those things in your blood, which is why for a longer fast, until someone gets healthy, we want to help them with that process. So again, it's, it gets complicated, but... Um, but this is very, very do doable. I mean, you, millions of people do this all over the world, and it's one of the absolute healthiest things you can do. And apparently, John Jones needs to be doing this too, so he doesn't get he caught does. up. <laughs> I love the way you put it too, because I think people need to remember, and this is so prevalent in fitness, especially, but just nutrition and dieting. You have to look at what you can adhere to, right? So, like you said, like if there's eight steps, but you can lock down just one right now, just do that because trying to do everything can be overwhelming, and doing one thing is better than just not anything at all. So, I think that's really, really important for people to hear. Um, I, I do want to respect your time, and we're kind of coming up close. So, I have a couple more questions for you, real briefly, before we sign off. And the first one is just, you know, we've talked about so many topics today, and I think everybody probably says this to you when you come on, but I think I could talk to you for another three hours just asking you questions. <laughs> if you could give the listeners just three things, five things, however you want to put it, one thing that they can just leave with that is like the most important thing for their health that they can do right now, what do you feel that thing is? 
So the, for, for the first one is we always start with food because food is either building our body up or literally breaking it down. And that's the truth. There's nothing more important. It's what we do on a daily basis. Not everyone exercises or moves their body on a daily basis. Not everyone's going to get the proper sleep, but we have to focus on our nutrition because that's going to be the largest combatant of everything else we do in life. And there is only one proven anti-cancer diet. And again, I did a, a very specific show because people are talking about the carnivore diet. They're talking about keto. They're talking about this. They're talking about that. And while I can respect the reason why all of those are um, given to people, I can respect those reasons and I can actually get behind them. What I can tell you in the long term is that there is no great research and there will never be any great research unless the diet shows that it is predominantly produce, fruit and vegetables. Because when we came about millions of years ago, we were hunter-gatherers and we were predominantly gatherers. There is no way with these little fingernails and these little teeth and this weak jaw that we would ever be able to take out big game, that we would even be able to catch an animal on four legs. And for then many millions of years, we didn't have fire. So you'd be eating these animals raw, biting through flesh, biting through feathers. And when you think about it, it sounds kind of gross that I'm saying it, but this is the reality. So I want people to know that I have no allegiance to anything, anyone, any diet. And that's because I was let down by all of conventional medicine, all of the daily food pyramid, all of that for a decade, right? So I often tell people um, the worst thing that ever happened to me was the best thing that ever happened to me because it took me so long to get well that I realized that most of the stuff out there um, is not the truth, that it's all... Um, People want it to be the truth. And because they want it to be the truth, they'll cherry pick studies. But here's the thing. There is no study that says, whether you believe in red meat or not, and I'm not saying I'm against it, there's no studies that say eating red meat prevents cancer, right? Now, you can make an argument that it won't cause cancer, but you can't say it doesn't prevent it. Same with bacon and same with all these things. But you can make an argument for eating fruits such as low glycemic berries, blueberries, raspberries, cherries, blackberries organic strawberries that haven't been heavily sprayed. And then what about vegetables? All of our dark green leafy vegetables. Well, what about um, broccoli and cauliflower with all that sulforaphane to help with detoxification? So those are the things proven to fight cardiovascular disease, type two diabetes, stroke, blood pressure, and cancer, which by the way, if you do not die from one of those, your likelihood to live well into your 80s and not get any disease is enormous. So my goal for people is to eat seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day. Along with that, you will get all the natural vitamins and minerals. Yes, you can still use supplements, but, not, but they're in addition to, they're supplementing your diet. And after that is if you're still not well by adding in all of that great produce, which crowds out, by the way, all that other stuff that people are talking about, then I recommend some type of functional medicine lab test. Of course, you can do it with us online anywhere in the world, or you can develop a relationship with a local functional medicine doctor or integrative health practitioner. So, you know, those are my highest recommendations is just to step forward, just to move forward. Um, there's a lot of great personal trainers out there with a great nutrition background. And you can also work with them on your nutrition. But the truth is that wherever you're at today is going to be drastically different than when you're at 12 months from now and drastically different in 12 months from now. I mean, I just looked at it myself. I still read over hundred books a year. So I know more, I'll know more next year than I will this year. And that's the exciting part about this health and fitness industry. And that's why I love to teach. I mean, I teach right now a certification for other health practitioners called the integrative health practitioner certification. And it's the thing that I'm most passionate about is because I'm not passionate about 
you know, getting labs to people. I'm not passionate about necessarily nutritional supplements. Of course I am because it's what helps people get well. But I'm most passionate about teaching people how to do it on their own. That's really what it's all about. So um, hopefully that was helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to link everything that you just talked about in the show notes because I'm a big fan of education. I'm a big fan of your work. I'm a big fan of testing and assessing everything that's going on because I believe if we want to improve our health, our life and anything, we really do have to start with an assessment. So investing in these tests is actually one of the best things that you can do in my opinion. Um, and the way I want to close it out is, is something I ask all my guests when they come on the show. It's a personality question and it's just a situation. You read so many books. I'm actually really excited to hear who you're, um, I'm assuming you just have a well-versed knowledge base. So I'm excited to see who you say, but the situation is that you're at a dinner table and you have three empty seats in front of you and you can choose anyone to be at that table to eat with you. They can be alive or dead, but they cannot be friends or family. Who is sitting at that dinner table? Ah, oh, that's very interesting. Well, so with me and my personality is that I stay open to everything and that's because every time I've been closed-minded, I've always been wrong. Every time I've gone against Ayurvedic medicine, I've basically always been wrong. So what I did, and this is you know, now over a decade ago, before a lot of this was even popular, I read all of the proponents of the paleo diet. And then I read all the, paleo, the proponents of the vegan diet. And I read all the proponents of this diet and that diet. And so what I did was, at the end of the day, I realized that the experts, like the true experts who don't care about anything except helping people get well, they pretty much recommended 60 to 80% of the diet from produce, from fruits and vegetables, and then they argued over a handful of protein a day. Like that's all it was, whether it was mung beans or chickpeas or whether it was um, some salmon or red meat, right? Like that's all we're arguing over is like this tiny amount. So what I would probably do is um, bring back Dr. Atkins and have him sit there and say, why were you so into and would you still be today? Maybe if you had the hindsight of new uh, research, um, would it matter today that all of those fats with omega-6s may now lead to some of these heart issues, even though we saw cholesterol go down. And then I would also bring in someone like, um, let's say, Joel Furman, who's a, a very um, big advocate of the vegan-based diet. And I would like them uh, to be there. And then, of course, I'm always going to add my mentor, Dr. Pete, uh, at the table because uh, the more time I could spend with her, obviously, the better. So, you know, I, I think that those are people are just figureheads for movements. So really what I'm trying to do are get people, get a discussion going. That's a healthy discussion. Not people just yelling at each other. Like they're not even staying open. If you go into a discussion and you're not willing to just give up a few of your little markers for what you might not know, then honestly, you're doing people a disservice. And that's because when you have a platform and you have a voice and you say, this is an all for one. Again, if it's always an all for one, you're pretty much going to be wrong every single time. So I just want people to stay open to all knowledge out there. I love it. I think that's so important to not be dogmatic. And I love the way you approach that question. Nobody has uh, it's always such a random answer too. So I love the way you approach that. But before I let you go, where can everybody find all your works? I want people to be able to um, have a resource to go check out everything. Yeah. So if they, uh, the main hub is stephencabral.com and it's Stephen with a PH. And I know, I'm sure you'll link it up in your show notes. Mm -hmm. The labs and the uh, detox are all available at equilibriumnutrition.com. But the main place is just like you, I'm all about education. And so every day I do a podcast called The Cabral Concept. It's on iTunes. It's pretty much everywhere. And uh, that's just me for basically 25 minutes a day talking about one topic, whether it be health, fitness, weight loss, uh, product reviews, et cetera, just things that I love. And um, so that's where I love to connect with people. 
Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really do appreciate it. And I just want to commend you for bringing so much knowledge and being just an open figure to educating people. Cause I think we, we spoke briefly about it before the podcast and we're both very passionate about just giving as much free content away just to help people. So I just want to commend you for that because it's rare to find, especially in an industry like fitness and nutrition and health. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for uh, sharing it with the listeners. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and keep up the amazing work that you're doing as well. I love the podcast. <laughs>